Dr. Jim Levitt from uh, Gastro Health, thank you so much for uh, joining me today. I uh, welcome you to this conversation. And uh, well, thanks for inviting me. Yeah, absolutely. So, how are you, and uh, how are things with Gastro Health? Well, me personally, I'm fine. Uh, you know, like I said, no cough, no shortness of breath. Life is good. Uh, I'm home, as you can see, and after I'm done with this, I'll be doing my televisits for today. Uh, so for me, it's it's I'm fine. My family's fine. So that's always a good start. As far as gastro health, obviously, like everyone else, things have changed. Our you know our volumes went down dramatically. Um, we closed several of our centers, our and our surgical centers. Uh, we kept open strategic ones uh, just to do urgent cases. For example, we did a case. I had a 69-year-old woman with two months of progressive dysphagia and 20-pound weight loss. We had to do that endoscopy. Um, so, But we went from maybe doing, in these two centers that are next to each other, 500 cases a week to 15 cases a week at one point. Our numbers went down, and we furloughed about half our staff. Uh, we it was an interesting thing, you know, necessity is the mother of invention. So we, one of the things that we wanted to do was start to look at televisits and ramp them up. Boom, we've done that. So uh, within about 10 days, we rolled out televisits across Gastro Health and in Florida alone at one point, we were doing 6,000 televisits a week. So, um, it was an interesting experience. Um, the other part that uh, was affected was we have done a lot of deals, and so we brought a lot of groups on board, and we have we standardized our platform, so everyone was on one platform. We had to slow that down because we couldn't travel to other places to, to really bring them on into a single platform, so that made a little bit. And so there was a nader, and now we're back. We're over 50%. We've opened up a lot of our surgical centers are starting to open up across the country. Uh, we're over 50. We're about 50% to 60% now back to where we were. So things are starting to pick up. We're starting to see patients back in the office. Although still, I think televisits are the dominant way of seeing patients for most of us still mm -hmm. today. Part of that is us and part of that is the patients. What you're doing, is it different in Florida versus else, elsewhere? Uh, so you have yeah, practices in Yeah, exactly. So if you look, I'm in Miami-Dade County. So I think uh, there's been like 60,000 cases, uh, COVID cases reported in Florida. A third of them are in Dade County mm -hmm. alone, right? Um, if you go to Birmingham, Alabama, now the numbers are starting to pick up there, but it's still relatively low, right? And so, uh, obviously, the effects have been somewhat different. But everybody dropped. There was no one that stayed the same. Everyone had a significant drop. I think the rate of return has, ch has been different based on the, the prevalence of the disease and the incidence of the disease in, the, in that particular area. So I think that's what's being affected, the rate of return. Mm -hmm. What is happening right now as far as PE deals are concerned across the board based on what your sense is and what you know? Yeah, so, um, you know, first thing I want to say, it's very interesting um, that how, how people think of this. Um, 
like what's the effect of COVID on private equity, right? That's what you want to know. Well, I'm not private equity. I'm a, I'm a company that's partnered with private equity. So you asked me what my comp- the effect on my company is. Now, what's the effect of private equity companies? That's a, I can talk about that, but that's not probably not what your audience is interested in. But there's two different things, right? So private equity, obviously, if they have multiple platform companies, they're out there helping the companies. Cash is king. They're, they're really digging into their 13-week runouts to see how, you know, what their cash positions are and things like that. And we're doing that also. But that's internalized. And so um, we're still a healthcare company. We deliver healthcare. That's what we do. And we have a private equity partner, which has been very beneficial through this time for us uh, in many ways. In, in uh, what ways has it been beneficial? We'll hire a healthcare law firm, a national one, but they'll use it for all their healthcare platforms. Mm-hmm. Right? So we have real, uh, we have ability to get to real experts on things. They help us find the technology that we can onboard on, you know, we can use onboarding. So our, we have, we're capitalized better. Uh, we have better relationships with banking. Um, we could get a revolver line of credit more easily. And they have, they, they have expertise they can bring to us above and beyond. So I think that we're actually more secure uh, in many ways, uh, than than the average four-person group out there, who is struggling more. So I think it's helped us in a lot of ways like that. Are you pursuing any physician practice deals in the current times? Yeah, we still we we still have a pipeline that's active. Uh, we still are talking to a lot of groups. We're signing NDAs and letters of intent. We're doing due diligence on deals that were in the pipeline right now. So all those things are progressing. Mm-hmm. Um, the closing date, we'll see, um, you know, but the, the processes themselves are still ongoing. Are uh, valuations taking a hit uh, because of, you know, COVID-19? Yeah, that's a hard question. So it, I guess, number one, it depends on where you are in the process with, it, with the group. Mm-hmm. Number two, um, we think it's, you know, if you if you had to close right now, would they take a hit? Yeah, it's hard to figure out what the valuations are, and 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 it's hard to get lenders to feel harder to get lenders to feel comfortable with your valuations when they see a sixty or seventy percent drop in revenues right now, mm-hmm. and and so you have to convince them the revenues are going to come back and what's the plan is. So it's a more difficult process, and. Do I think you might see a decrease in multiples? Again, I'm not a soothsayer. Uh, I don't know. But my guess is it might be because the valuations might be similar, but the multiples, uh, you know, the, when you might be lower because the multiple is just an expression of risk, right? Uh, so there's more risk out there right now. And so I wouldn't be surprised if you saw some diminution in the multiples. If you wear the uh, soothsayer hat and see into the future, what are some uh, short-term and long-term effects that practices uh, in in this space will face? Uh, So I think from the practices point of view, the short-term effect is stay safe, keep your patients safe, uh, do the right thing. 
uh, make sure you understand what you have to do to, to do that. It's still all about the patients and your staff and do that. That's um, still deliver great care, ramp up your televisits, um, and hope that that's something that the government will allow and stay and payers will pay for at a reasonable rate in the future. Um, that's number one. Number two, uh, short term is look at your cash flows, make sure you can stay in business. Uh, we're not the U.S. government. We don't print money. So that's, you know, we have other, we have some rate limiting steps there. So understand, um, for example, one of the things that we did is we built a calculator for our each care center and each surgical center. So we knew what our volumes needed to be to break even. And then from there, we could understand our cash flows and where we could uh, go out to. So short term, really act like a business. Um, and there'll be some people hurting. So long term, um, depends on where you are. Do your financial planning and your planning around patient volumes, understanding and hoping that our goal is to get to 75%, 70 to 80% by the end of the year. And what's the financial outcomes on that? How, how can you be more, start thinking long-term, how can you run your practice more efficiently? I think all of us have learned that there's very more efficiencies that we can do. You can do more with less, actually. Uh, like I said, uh, necessity is the mother of invention. So how can you return even stronger and better? What are the things that we can put in place or we already put in place that we can leverage into the future uh, to make us a better uh, company and provide better care? So I think that's the w what you have to think of. And I think there's going to be some suffering in some groups that aren't going to be capable of doing this. From the private equity point of view, we'll see. Uh, they may, we, we're, we know we're already getting inbound calls from people saying help. Mm -hmm. So if you were uh, on the outside, right, like so you were not part of a private equity backed uh, platform and you were an independent practice right now, and, and then we go to the end of the year and uh, your finances are not looking good. What would you do? You know, would you look at private equity? Because it's, you know, you're in a bind, right? Because if you look at private equity or a PE-backed platform, then your you know, valuations are not high. So you'll probably sell out at a valuation, which would be probably far lower than pre-COVID days. Uh, but if you don't do that, you know, you're struggling financially. How would you go about your decisions and what would you do? Yeah, you have, I mean, you have to look at, there's many different options and one size doesn't fit all, obviously. It depends on how, so if it's a choice between doing something or going out of business, you do something. Or if you're 68 years old and you can retire and you're a solo practice, maybe you retire, I don't know. But uh, there's a lot of options. I think that, um, and, and then there's the hospital. I think the hospital is one of the reasons that doctors are consolidating is they don't want to join the hospital. I think there's a lot of problems joining a hospital. I think um, that physicians are consolidating one way or the other and have been for a number of years because it's the best model for us. It's our obligation to lead healthcare reform. We're the best advocates for patients. So I think that this may be a uh, a call to a wake up call to some people to say, maybe I need to find a place to consolidate. And my argument would be, it's not the hospital. Um, 
because that usually raises costs. It, it's a problem. And you're now employed in a way that your contract is good for two years and then you've got a new contract and they could say goodbye, et cetera. But in this, in our model or with other groups, hopefully this spurs consolidation. This gets us to a place where we can lead healthcare reform and do what's right for the patients and ourselves. So as a practice, if uh, revenues are going down, what are some steps that you can take? Yeah, so, I mean, I think there's two pot sides of the equation. It, it's what's coming down the bottom, right, that it's important. It's, it's what the profit is. And so we may say, hey, for a while, we're going to get to 80%. So if our revenues, top-line revenues are 80%, I think there's a lot of, if we can affect some efficiencies in our practices and decrease costs and overhead, then we can still have a good bottom line. So I think we need to start looking at that from a business point of view, not just a functional point of view. I mean, simple, if we're going to be, if 25 to 35% of our visits are going to be televisits, do we need as much real estate? Can we start decreasing uh, or consolidate, if we, in, for example, gastro health, can we start consolidating some of our care centers and offices? And so we don't need as much space so we can reduce rent and also reduce personnel and things like that. So I think there's opportunities um, from an efficiency point of view so that if revenues are down a little bit, we, we know now that we can do with less and be more efficient. And if we apply those two standards, we're going to do all right. For a private equity backed platform, uh, what are the risks you know, that they carry in a time like this, you know, especially in a time like this? Well, so um, the business doesn't come back, right? You're over leveraged. So a lot of these, when we purchase groups, there's, we borrow money. It's leveraged. So if you're in a position where you're very leveraged, i.e. you have a lot of debt and then the revenue that you bought decreases significantly, you're over leveraged. You don't, it's, it'd be like if you had a $500,000 mortgage in your house, but you were making $800,000 a year, you wouldn't worry about it. If you had a $500,000 mortgage in your house and somehow you lost your job and you could only make $70,000 a year, you have a problem. And so that could be a problem in, in with this. If you are already over leveraged and you don't have a good comeback um, for your revenue stream, you could be in trouble. And that's the risk that's going on, not just in private equity, uh, certainly in private equity, but in public companies. I mean, part of a lot of this news out there is about how public companies and other companies are have used debt and they're so much in debt. That's why what's happened to Hertz, et cetera, right? Yeah. Uh, so it, we're subject to the same things as the rest of the business world. There's been uh, plenty of media attention uh, towards private equity-led uh, medical practices, and a lot of that is negative. I'm curious to hear from you on uh, you know, what you have to say. Yeah, so um, you can always find a few bad apples in the barrel, right? And so if you're the media and you just want to concentrate on the bad apples, that's fine. But, let's, but there's way more good apples than bad apples. And so I would say we all know 
physician, most physicians care about their patients and care about doing the right thing and giving great care. Um, and we all know physician groups that, or physicians, whether they have private equity backing or not, they're very money focused and they do things that we wouldn't necessarily look at in a good light. And so uh, I know for us, we're very mission driven and not margin driven. Doesn't, but we're all, I mean, every medical practice is a for-profit company. Um, there's no shame in that. But if you're mission driven, then, then you're, that's what you want to be. And so our mission, we're very mission driven. We remain mission driven. So I know we've done great things. So our, we've markedly increased our ADR rates. We've, we've, we've done uh, episodes of care around colonoscopy and EGD. And we're like in Florida, uh, we're 75 to 85% of the average cost of an episode of care all costs three days before and 14 days after for colonoscopy and EGD compared to the rest of the state. We, we do look at expenses. We don't try to just drive revenue. So when we brought in a group and the number of bottles that they did per case pathology because they had a little small, small path lab was way out of line. And we brought them back into line because we want to do good medicine. And, and give good care. And so um, I'm proud of what we did. And I know a lot of the, I'm friends with a lot of people who've done private equity deals and been platform companies. And I know they feel the same way I do. Mm -hmm. From your lens, how do you see the future change? You know, at some point we'll be out of COVID and, and you know, this will be behind us. Uh, and uh, how, how would GI have changed uh, by then and beyond that? Yeah, so I, I think we're going to be more efficient. I think it's going to help us. I think we're going to be uh, able to run our businesses more efficiently out of necessity. I think that patients are going to have different expectations of safety. Um, I think that while you, uh, in the next two or three years, I, I can't tell you 10 or 15 years from now, I don't think you're talking about that future, um, but I think patients' expectations of safety will remain very high, and you're going to have to prove to them that you care about that. Uh, I think televisits will, as long as the marketplace stays, uh, you know, with some reasonable reimbursements, I think it's here to stay. And so we can devise our, our strategies around that. I think we're looking at really cool ways of new and different ways of patient engagement that are going to be aided by technology. I think all those things are going to be very important. More touch points remotely, uh, using predictive analytics to be able to know when to touch the patient correctly. That's what I think is, is, hap is going to happen. So that I think we're not going to, uh, I think this will spur us to do things. So we're not going to wait till the patient's in crisis. How, what can we put in place now to touch the patients in ways other than just bringing them in the office? I think this taught us a good lesson. Mm -hmm. I think that's where GI and healthcare is going to be going. Uh, the way I see it, a lot of uh, trends uh, that were already underway pre-COVID uh, are probably accelerating right now, right? Like, so telemedicine was there before. AI was there before. There's, and maybe DNA testing, you know, it was there before. Uh, I'm guessing that all these technologies will accelerate and change the demand supply uh, equation in uh, gastroenterology. You know, until now, uh, GI practices have relied largely on uh, colonoscopy. But if you see 
uh, some of the large practices, a lot of the revenue is not coming from GI services alone, but there's there's a dependence on ancillary reimbursements and revenues, and and that's only going to increase, right? Uh, so I think so, and and I think the model will change too, so that if so, part you know when we first started to consolidate it, the idea was so we could build re other revenue streams and have enough volume, but I think that's morphed a little bit. So now, if you think of the the um, you know, if if you think of the, we want to control costs and population health and the experience of the patient, right? So as as we change our the way we we think about reimbursements, all these things we, now we can control every bit of cost, and so we can take that to the marketplace. So if we can keep people out of the ER, if we can do those things, we're going to take that and do. Um, different types of negotiations with payers and think more about populations. So can we do chronic care management? Um, and if we control every bit of cost, we can have alternate payment methods that we can take to payers. So these ancillary revenue streams can be ancillary revenue streams, but also controllers of costs. So, Cause I mean, I can do a CAT scan for, a hospital can't do a CAT scan for a thousand dollars and make a profit, and I can make a profit on a, a, a high quality CAT scan for a lot less. And I think we can start leveraging those types of things. Uh, our infusion centers will be great cost savers. Mm -hmm. So while our ancillary revenue streams, they're great cost savers. And so um, as we get to this, fewer direct touches, but more remote touches, and and thinking of, of populations and doing all that stuff. All these things, if you have them, will be great for the patients. It, it'll it'll streamline everything. What was your vision when you started uh, Gastro Health, and when you you know went, went after private equity, created the platform, and uh, built up this large practice uh, that that you have now? Like, so what was the original vision? Well, I, I mean, I I think I always thought doctors had it to consolidate. Uh, as I had said before, it's, a, it's imperative for us to lead healthcare reform. We're the best advocates for patients. We, I think we're the solution to many of the problems that are, are in a healthcare system. And, um, and I thought we could build a more disruptive model that would really make a difference. And we needed to um, get larger to be able to do that. And we need to be capitalized. So there's a lot of different models. That's how I came up to go to private equity because we needed all those things and we needed something that would be a catalyst to growth because it's very hard to grow otherwise quickly. We've gone from, it took us 10 years, to, you know, about eight years to go from 40, from, to go from 27 to 47. And it's taken us three and a half years to go from 47 to 250. So uh, it's a catalyst to growth. But why did we want to grow? Not just to get bigger. That's not the point. Um, it's what can we do with that? So I think everything's going to be uh, uh, on about data. And so what were you trying to do? Uh, we want to build data warehouses and data lakes. And we want to be able to use, we already have a robust business intelligence platform, but now how can we take data from disparate sources, put them in a data lake and start to do analytics and predictive analytics uh, how can we do all that stuff? Well, if you're a four-person group, you can't. Um, but if you're 500 doctors, you can 
number one, we're capitalized. We have, a, so we can start to build those things. And number two, we can spread that expense over 500 doctors because it's hard to do. We were actually starting to, to work on all this pre-COVID. It's been delayed a little bit because we had to do other things, but, um, but we'll get back to it. So that was the vision that we needed data to drive better outcomes, to be predictive, to take care of populations. But a small group couldn't do that. They don't have the wherewithal. They don't have the ability, the money, the capitalization. By being large, you collect large amounts of data and you have the wherewithal to do something with that data to make a better world and a better outcomes for our patients. That was what this was about. And it goes back to your original question about is the downside of private equity. As long as that remains what we're about, I'm not worried about our private equity situation. Your practice was the first one to take private equity. Now that was back in 2016. Uh, yep. And uh, typical uh, private equity horizons are five to seven years. Uh, so, you know, my own calculations always have been that, you know, I'm, I'm going to see gastro health uh, exit probably at some point, you know, that second bite of the apple is possibly going to begin for GI in 2021, 2022. And uh, now, you know, COVID has paused everything, put things on hold based on whatever you can share and know and all that. Like, so I'm, I'm curious to know, uh, you know, would all these exit horizons change? Like, so would, would it all be longer now? And, and what would determine uh, an appropriate time for recapitalization, you know, in, in, in the GI space? Well, I, I, I'll go back to my original answer. I think the deals have slowed down. That would be another deal, right? Yeah. Um, so I think the deals have slowed down and we'll see where the market comes back. If, if we can get back to doing deals by the end of the year or first quarter 2021, maybe we'll be behind by six months to a year. We'll see. And then you have to understand what the appetite of the next buyer is, right? Mm -hmm. um, I think that's all to be determined. Would I have preferred if this never happened? Of course, but for more than just the private equity deal, right? Yes, yes. Right. Yeah. Uh, I've covered uh, a lot of ground on uh, the questions that I had. Uh, was there anything else uh, that you wanted me to ask? And we could do that now. Um, it's been an interesting experience, uh, it, and I hope we all take it as a learning experience. What can we do to be better? Um, we need to be better. And all through this, what I'm amazed at is healthcare and and how passionate we are about it. So. That's a good thing. How do you make it better? Well, we talked about it. You can be more efficient. We can touch the patients more. We can, and, and all those types of efficiencies, I think, will has been spurred. I think televisits will be able to, will have better touches and more frequent touches with patients. I think we're looking at being more efficient. Uh, we're look, I think technology will be better. I think we'll stop talking we'll start talking about populations and and taking care of our people in different ways i think this has spurred us that we don't have to see the patient in the office to take care of them jim like you know we've we've gotten ourselves 
into this right like you know as a system as a healthcare system and, and for me like you know when i when i reflect on this time a, a part of me you know is saying that like you know we asked for this you know in a, in a lot of ways like so we've created the inefficiencies we've created uh, the wastages in the system we've created this whole monstrous uh, uh, expensive system uh, and we have kind of trapped ourselves and uh, somehow you know we're not able to use you know the system that we have created to solve the problem that has uh, hit us suddenly and across Be the board uh, because i don't think you i mean it's the whole concept of disruptive innovation right it's the whole concept you need something disruptive to change you can't say if you want to change the health system this is my this is me this is my philosophy and one of the reasons i did we did what we did is you have to be disruptive you can't say oh how can we use the current system to change because the current system is a monster and so you need to think about things in a different way and so i'd love this disruptive thing to spur innovation and i think it will so i think that this could be the seed of disruptive innovation for the future and it we can't do things the same old way with the same old systems and the same old processes you'll just get the same results so i'm hoping that this is the seed to to start to think about doing things in a different way and i think it is i see that within our own company yeah well thank you very much uh, dr levitt this has been fantastic conversation very reflective too was there anything else that you wanted to add uh, before we close thanks for doing all the stuff that you're doing i think you're keeping people informed and it's a it's a you're doing a great service for people thank you very much thank you so much for saying so